Galatians 3, 1-14 You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was, was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who, rel who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that, that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks, Amanda. You may be seated. My name is Heather, one of the pastors here. Glad to see you all for our service today, like Johnny said, family, wanting to be together, having the food truck. If you haven't met anyone, it's a good opportunity to stay after and say hello. And if you do have kids in the service, we're glad and um, just feel free, run around, do what you need to do if you're a small human. Um, we've been talking about um, the gospel and what is the gospel and we've been going through the book of Galatians and today we're in Galatians chapter 3. It's kind of interesting because in this moment, Paul is actually talking about family. Really appropriate. We timed that really well. Um, and Paul is talking about how people who are outside of the family lineage that he's a part of actually have equal membership in the family. And so he's writing this letter, letter to the Galatian church in defense because he's been told that he's a bit muddled. Paul, you're a bit muddled about what the gospel is. And so he's writing a letter in response to this accusation that he's muddled about what the news is about God. And as Johnny has been talking about through the last couple of weeks, it's like there's this dinner invite that has gone out. And people are coming to the dinner, and once people get there, the question is like, well, who, who's... Um, really belongs here at this dinner party. You know, a few people may be getting the side eyes. Like, mm, I don't really know. I don't really know why you're in here. And it sounds funny, um, but that's painful. When you got somewhere and you actually wonder if you're like on the outs. I think that sometimes happens. We go somewhere you probably know that feeling. You're invited somewhere, and when you get there, you don't actually know if you're really wanted there. I mean, maybe you felt that a little bit coming in this morning. 
Like, I don't really know if I belong here. I don't know how comfortable I feel. It's that feeling, you know, that feeling that you don't actually know if you're wanted. And so sometimes at a dinner party, you kind of hustle for it. Maybe if I like know the inside jokes or I like, oh yeah, I know that story. Like, let me jump in there and talk about that. Or, you know, you're trying to hustle to get in. And maybe if there's a kind of connection that you make, like maybe then you'll be seen as belonging to this group of people. But deep down, maybe you still can't shake that feeling. I don't actually know if I'm wanted here and I don't know if I belong. I think a lot of us feel that feeling pretty constantly. Or there's moments where you have your squad and you're all about, and then there's those people that come in and you're like, mm, kind of a bummer that they're here. They don't really know the jokes. They kind of bring the level down. You know, we don't actually want them there. And it may be funny or it may be because of their politics that we don't want them there. Or we don't want them there because we have a personal bias or a prejudice against them for any kind of particular reason. It's painful. And so it can go both ways. We can know that feeling not being wanted, and we can also be the people that project that feeling out into the world. And then there's some people that make you just feel like family when you walk in the door. I have people like that in my life. Like the other day, I was at Chrissy and John's house, and I was supposed to get there earlier, and they have a little daughter called Margot, and Margot was like, they'd already eaten dinner, and she's like, you're too late, you're just too late. I was like, that's exactly like you tell me, girl. She's like, you didn't come early enough, and now I'm going to bed, and it's not okay, right? Like, that's how family members talk to each other. And then there's other people where at some point I felt like I was family, but now I've lost that privilege. I'm not welcomed in the same way as I once was by them. It's hurtful. And it's confusing. And it honestly feels awful. And suddenly, that is what, hap- that is, what is happening in the story that we're reading from Paul. People who at one moment had been invited as family members are now being treated as outsiders and they are no longer wanted for who they are. And so Paul comes in strong. You witless Galatians comes in strong, right? Some passages say you foolish or some interpretation. Who has bewitched you? There's just one thing I want you to know. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of Torah or by hearing and believing? The one who gives you the Spirit and performs powerful deeds among you, does he do this through your performance of Torah or through hearing and believing? So here we're being asked, or we do remember, that not only what the Spirit does, the Spirit gives, produces gifts of love and joy and peace. The Spirit brings powerful works. 
the Spirit gives gifts, but there is also something that the Spirit signifies. And Paul is highlighting this because for these people, they're narrowing in on what Torah signifies, and Torah signifies belonging. And so Paul is highlighting Spirit. And spirit in the biblical text actually signifies belonging. In other passages, it talks that if you have the spirit, you have a guaranteed inheritance, which is kind of a familial language. That there's something you inherit because you belong. That's where inheritance comes from. And so the emphasis here that Paul is speaking about is not that they've had this really ethereal, spiritual experience, and all of a sudden they want to go back to a bit of law-following, rule-following. Paul's emphasis here is actually on what God is doing. God's Spirit. And what God's Spirit guarantees outside of behaviors and actions. And God's Spirit guarantees an inheritance. And so what Paul is saying here is you're already fully in without anything to do with Torah. That's what he is reminding these people about. Because they've decided that the insiders are the ones that are Torah followers and the outsiders are the others. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. My grandmother died in 2020 in May. I have a picture of her. And she's so lovely. She lived till she was 98, and she was an epic human. Lovely, lovely lady. She had a little Irish accent. And before she died, I went to see her in December of 2019. And um, she was talking to me about different things, and she had this box, and she was talking to me all about this box. She'd had this box since she was 17 and she wanted me to know all about the box. And she had all these stories about the box and it, was really, it felt like it was a really important box to my grandma. And it's cool, it's a wooden box, it's really cool. And then as she was telling me the story, I realized that there was a lot of things about this box that were like representative of her hopes and dreams and things that she'd lived through. I might cry, I'm gonna try not to. And there was this moment where she looked at me and she's like, like encouraged me not to give up hope for something that's in my heart. And she just like was looking at this box and she's like, don't give up hope. And then after she died, check it out. This box is for Heather only from her grandma Joan. How epic is that? There it is. You know, and like this box, my aunt opened it and she's like, this box is for Heather only. So she's like, hey, this box for you that your grandma really wanted you to have. It was part of an inheritance. And it was something that was really special to my grandma that she wanted me to have. And so now it's special to me. I get the box. And you know what? The Spirit is a note. The Spirit is giving and gifting, not a box, but belonging. 
And that's the big question that Paul is answering is like, who's a part of this family? Who's a part of this heritage? Who's the people that get the boxes? Who are the people that can stand and be like, yeah, I belong. Who's invited not just to look around, but to know that they're part of the fam? And Paul says, it's not by the behaviors of Torah. I know that those are things that have often made us us, but that's not the way to belonging. And then he talks about a really significant family member of these people. He says, it's like Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So you know that it's people of faith who are children of Abraham. The Bible foresaw that God would justify the nations by faith. So it announced the gospel of Abraham in advance when it declared that the nations will be blessed in you. So you see the people of faith are blessed along with faithful Abraham. There's a message that evokes faith. And faith, I would like to describe as this place of rest. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, a, it's like this reassurance and trust and gratitude. That's how I describe faith. It's like resting into something. And there's this message that evokes rest in humanity. And the context for this message isn't solely in stories about Jesus. Here the context is Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16. Abraham is worried about his family. He's worried about his children and their children's children. He wants specifically for them to know that they're going to be secure. Like who's going to get the inheritance? Where's, the, where's his family lineage going to go? And there's a promise that God gives that Abraham will have a son and from that son will be this massive family. And so what isn't being talked about here is Abraham having the right kind of approach to God. Also, what is not being talked about here is that Abraham like, has faith and that righteousness then gets him to heaven. The promise here is about a physical family and land and security. Not about how people get saved, but how Abraham gets a promised family and an inheritance and that they're secure. I think sometimes in Christianity, when we use the language of faith, sometimes we negate like physical realities and we place it very specifically in a spiritual reality. And the spiritual becomes more significant than the physical. that it's about a kind of faith that gets us somewhere in the future. And so what is now is kind of irrelevant. But it takes a lot more imagination and faith to believe that God is going to make this reality good. It's easier to believe that individuals are going to be slipped away to somewhere good. And that this reality doesn't matter. And that's what faith is about. But the word justification here 
isn't about a final destination. It's about status, status in community. And what Paul is saying is that they have equal status. That there's a message that evokes rest and trust and reassurance and belonging. And that message that communicated security to Abraham now communicates security to these new people. And so they, like Abraham, are part of the family. And so these Torah people need to treat the non-Torah people like family members. To share a common table. And to not force them into behaving their way into belonging. And the reason that Paul gives that is because Jesus incorporates them into family. Because you see, those who belong to the works of the law camp are under a curse. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Cursed is everyone who doesn't stick fast by everything written in the book of the law to perform it. There's a section here in chapter 3 of Galatians that is really complicated. And so it's important that we come to this text with a lot of humility. So Paul is saying that Jesus is doing something that means that we belong. That we belong to each other, that we're family, that we're wanted. And there's not this separation between Torah people and everyone else. Rule followers and non-rule followers. And then he says, curse those who belong to the works of the law camp. That there's been this curse on people who belong to the law camp. And you're like, what? People who are relying on Torah says that they're cursed. And the curse he gives us specifically comes out of Torah, Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is anyone who doesn't keep up with this law. And the thing is, they've not been able to keep up with the law, so they're feeling like they're under a curse and things are not looking great. And then Paul quotes a verse about faith. He keeps talking about faith, this sense of reassurance. And he quotes not Torah, but a prophet, Habakkuk. And Habakkuk believed that God can make this reality good. And God never gave up, I mean, Habakkuk never gave up hope in God to do that. And I've been listening to a lot of 80s music lately because, you know, Kate Bush and Stranger Things and kind of all gets us in the mood, right? And so on my little shuffly shuffle, I have all this music playing and I'm um, just dancing around my living room and my kitchen and getting into the 80s. And um, Whitney Houston's Higher Love came on. I'm like, oh, cue karaoke mic, right? Amanda. Do you know it? Me, a higher love. Oh, yes. <laughs> Telling you. I'm like listening to it and I'm like, and then all of a sudden the verse comes on. I'm like, things look so bad everywhere. 
In this whole world, what is fair? We walk the line and try to see, falling behind in what could be, oh, Dude, always count on Christine for the karaoke. Yes, Christine. No, no. But I'm telling you, things look so bad everywhere. In this whole world, what is fair? How many of you have thought that in the last three years? With everything that is going on. Things look so bad everywhere in this whole world. What is fair? We walk the line and try to see falling behind in what could be bring me a higher love. Habakkuk is like Whitney Houston. I don't know if he'd be down with that, but <laughs> I think he is. These words, there's this context where everything is looking so bad. And Habakkuk is believing for something deeper, something real, something more real, a higher love. And Torah, as the Abraham family know, is not providing a way to that deeper, significant kind of sense of rest. And it is into this moment that Jesus arrives. And Jesus undoes a curse, a very specific curse that is spoken about in Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 27. A curse of having to live this particular kind of life. Jesus comes in and frees from that curse, that very specific curse to that very specific people. And verse 14 tells us why, so that we can get on with the God project. He redeemed us, or set us free, redeemed us from that curse, that specific curse. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham could flow through to the nations in King Jesus, and so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. To a devout, to a devout Jew, being a part of the Abraham family, meant that you were the recipient of God's active, compassionate, merciful love. You could count on that. That's the blessing of Abraham. That's the blessing of being with that old dude, just like there's blessings of being with my old grandma. The blessing of being associated with Abraham is that you are the recipient of God's active, compassionate, merciful love. You can count on that. And so God goes to great lengths to keep the Abraham family, but also to call us family. And the story is not a failure about Israel. It's not Israel's failure so that the group called the church could come in. The story is about how God is and always has been spacious with love. That there is room. And that's the message that is the gospel. That's the news, that God is spacious with love. 
spacious with love to belong, to be wanted, and to be welcomed. That's the news. And that's the message that evokes faith. It evokes that feeling of rest, of gratitude, of trust and joy. Because it's the news that we are both wanted and invited. And in being invited, that we are wanted. And that there's no question in our bodies or in our minds that we would be wanted, having been invited. Which is why Paul shows up so sassy. He's desperate for these people to know that news and to not tell a different story to the people that they're communicating a different story to. God has gone to great lengths to prove to the people that Paul, to Peter, that Peter and Barnabas are now saying don't belong. They're doing the opposite. They're telling people that they don't belong. Or that there's certain things they have to do to earn belonging. And the reality is, is that we do the same. Our language is less about practical things like food laws and circumcision. It's often more about morality and behavior and saying the right things about Jesus and faith and having the kinds of spiritual experiences that prove that we're on the ins and not the outs or on the way out. And communicating that experiencing doubt means that we don't have faith. And so somehow with our doubt, our belonging is in question. Like I said, our language is less about food laws and circumcision. But we do the same thing. But at the end of the day, our approval and our belonging or our belonging is not determined on the approval of other people or the acceptance of others. Our belonging is located in the heart of God whose image we bear at birth. And we're all shaped and scattered into different laws and practices and cultures. We're not the same. Abraham was not the same as Paul. Paul lived in Rome. Abraham was like out in the desert. Paul is not the same as a Russian soldier or a Ukrainian civilian. 
And none of those people that I just mentioned are the same as a woman in China or a child in Taiwan. And none of those people are likely were or are Republican or Democrat. But at the core, God's vision for us is that we belong to the very same family group. That's God's vision for us. And our sense of kinship or our sense of belonging to each other is nourished by our actions. And Jesus' love has implications for now the same way it did for them, a group of people sitting around a table in Turkey. We shouldn't separate this story of faith, the thing that gives us rest, a sense of belonging and hope from real life, politics and society. The Bible doesn't separate it. Jesus offers personal transformation, yes. And it's very important, that personal transformation. But Jesus is also offering community transformation and societal transformation. The Christian narrative is about a loving God building a new society, one that is founded on love, one that is founded on belonging, one that is founded on being family with one another. Why? Because we're wanted. Because we are wanted. And that's the news. That's the news that we're invited into believing. That we are wanted. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that you're wanted? There's a lot of competing stories to that story. We hear them every day. You hear them in your workplace. You maybe hear it in your family. Maybe you hear it from your friends or who you thought were friends. Competing stories. There's a competing story that happens in the media or in society. That's not always the story that we hear. But when there are other stories that are being told, we don't have to cooperate with them. A friend of mine, Annie, called me. We have this running thing where we have these t-shirts that we want to make and whenever we hear a little comment we call each other and we're like oh yeah we have another t-shirt so she called me this week and she said um 
I was thinking of you because I was listening to a podcast and the girl on the podcast was being asked to say something publicly and it was something public that she didn't agree with. And so she said to the person who'd asked her to do it, she's like, oh, I don't cooperate with that narrative. I was like, that's our t-shirt. I'm not cooperating with that narrative. What stories are you cooperating with? Is it the story that is told to us here by Paul in Jesus, originating in the heart of God's love for you? Or are there other stories, other narratives that you're cooperating with? And maybe a story that you're telling yourself about yourself. Just take a breath in. What is it? What's the story that you tell yourself about yourself the most often? That you're a failure? That you don't belong? What stories are you cooperating with about other people? God's story is a story that evokes faith, a sense of rest and trust that we're wanted. That we can have assurance in that. And that's the story that we're invited to tell. The narrative that we're invited to cooperate with in our workplaces and with our families, in, in our society. And that means a whole lot of whole hard work to believe it so that we can tell it. Paul's message to the Galatians about the people that have rested in the good news story of Jesus, incorporating them into belonging, is that you are wanted. You are welcomed and that you belong. And that's the story that flies off the page to us today. Missio, you're wanted. You're welcomed. And you belong. We are wanted. And we are welcomed. And we belong. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so easy to think about who doesn't belong and why they don't belong. It's so easy for us to tell ourselves why we're not wanted and why we don't belong. And yet this story that we look to is constant. It's a constant message of love being spacious that there's always an invitation that evokes faith and that faith means that we can rest rest in Jesus what you want to do 
in incorporating us into family and that that's the work that you're doing and which is so hard for us to believe like Whitney Houston singing about. It's hard for us to believe that there is a higher love that is leading communities and societies and individuals into something that is called family where we won't ever, where we won't ever question whether we're wanted. And so I pray that like Abraham and like Paul and like my grandma, we wouldn't give hope. We wouldn't give up hope. That that spirit is what you are doing. And in not giving up hope, our actions would tell that story to ourselves and to the people around us. And so, Spirit, fill us today with a sense of our own wantedness and belonging so that we can cooperate with your narrative. A narrative that is bringing us together as a society in King Jesus that is rooted in love. Known by wantedness and belonging. And so birth that kind of spirit out of us and through us and in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.